you're traveling through another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A journey into a wondrous show whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the RSS feed up ahead. Your next stop, Anthology. Hey guys, a quick note before I get started on this episode. Um, there was some slight technical difficulties. Well, basically the, the gain on my recorder was way too high um, without me knowing. I don't know how it happened. But anyway, um, so the sound is a little bit distorted in this episode, and I apologize for that. Hopefully it's not too distracting, but just thought I would give you guys a heads up before we get into the episode. And also the review that we do the non-spoiler review does veer off into a little bit of spoiler territory. We kind of talk a little bit about the last scene of the movie. I think it's a little vague that it can be kind of okay, but I'll put another um, spoiler warning before the review just to as a heads up. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode despite those kind of drawbacks. And yeah, thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast where I review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology series. For archives of all of my episodes, visit AnthologyPod.com, and while you're at it, like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod, and follow me on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you want to contact me, feel free to send me an email at Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com, Finally, if you'd like to support what I do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. If you pledge $1 on Patreon, you will get access to a backlog of tons of exclusive pre-show episodes recorded specifically for Patreon supporters spread across all three of my podcasts. Today on the podcast, I am joined by my friend and podcasting partner, Anthony, quote-unquote, Tiny. Ramian for a special Between Seasons episode of Anthology in which we will be discussing the 1964 political thriller Seven Days in May, which was adapted by Rod Serling from a novel of the same name by Fletcher Nebel and Charles W. Bailey II. Uh, yeah, so without further ado, uh, let me introduce Tiny. Hi, Tiny. Hey, buddy. Hey, how's it going? Oh, good, man. Good, good. You are back. This is your third or fourth appearance on Anthology? At least third. Yeah. Yeah. How does it feel? I think it's more than that. It might be fourth. Maybe. I know we did an episode of Black Mirror. Did we? That was for, wasn't that for this or was that for Obsessive Viewer? That may have been for Obsessive Viewer. Oh, shit. Um, But I know we reviewed, I don't remember what it's called, but I think it was Science Fiction Theater and it was about that, that, that. The guy who was at Pearl Harbor. Uh, it was the time element. The time element. And it wasn't science fiction theater. It was for Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse. That's right. Yeah, it That's was the. Uh, yeah, it was the kind of unofficial pilot of the Twilight Zone. So, okay, gotcha. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I want... Oh, we talked about the Twilight Zone season season one on uh, we did, yeah. the CBS All Access show. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, and that was, that was a good one. I was mm-hmm. re-listening to that recently, and like we talked for like two hours. We did. Um, so, yeah, and the, one of the reasons why I'm bringing you on now uh, for this episode... Uh, it's unique because this episode is not a, a traditional episode of the show by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of wanted the kind of symmetry or the, I don't know. I wanted it to be kind of a, I don't know, apt thing to have you on because you were on at the end of season one, um, of the show to talk about the time element, like you mentioned. And I don't know. I kind of, so right now in the show, 
I am finished with season two of the original series. And I kind of wanted that symmetry of having like kind of the breakdown of, okay, um, I finished a season of the show. So I had my friend Brandon from uh, submitted for your approval on to kind of talk about the season as a whole. And then uh, similar to how I had you on for the time element, I wanted to bring you back on to talk about something related to the twilight zone in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of like this idea of having a, a one-off episode at the end of each season where like I would have you come on and we would talk about something that Serling made that wasn't the twilight zone. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, so that's why I selected seven days in May cause I was very excited to see it. And, um, yeah. And it seemed like something that you would be into and Totes. spoiler, eh, we were both into it. <laughs> so definitely, definitely. yeah, so we'll talk about that, but I do want to kind of, before we get into the actual review and everything, I wanted to touch base with you about, uh, the new season of the CBS all access show. Um, you watched the first episode a night or two ago. I did. Okay. How'd you feel about it? Uh, it felt really good. Nice. Um, actually, I don't know if I can make the statement that I liked it better than almost every episode from season one, mm-hmm. but it would have been like a top, it's like a top three of the new series. Nice. Um, yeah, it was really great. Um, I love Jimmy Simpson anyways, mm-hmm. uh, but then just him really doing the lion's share of all the acting, really. Um, it just made me like him being the focal point of an episode of television. Yeah. I was a big fan of that because he's, he's such like a supporting character right. actor, you know, like you never really see him star in anything. Yeah. So to see him be like the main guy, I really, mm-hmm. I really dug that. Um, I know he was in an episode of uh, Black Mirror. Yes, yes, he was. Um, oh. He was great in that. But again, he was, he was like a, great. He's like a supporting. Yeah. Oh, character. yeah. Um, he's been on so many things. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, so it was cool to see him in that. And uh, nice. Not to get into the episode, but like I think my favorite mm-hmm. thing about it was the amazing chemistry that he and Gillian Jacobs had. Yes. With, just with their voices. Yeah. That was like really amazing. Um, and and just the the visual the visual acting from mm-hmm. Jimmy Simpson. Really great. Um, it's nice. a well-crafted episode. Really good writing, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I agree. Um, I, I kind of saw it coming in a oh, way. Oh, really? It didn't spoil Like, it didn't make it any less awesome. Nice. You know? I, uh, I I mean, I reviewed it, so you can check out the review and everything. I will. Hint, hint. Um, <laughs> no. Um, I'm actually really proud of that review. I kind of... Because when I review the new series, and by extension, like, recently when I've done the original series, like, I have really tried to just dive as deep as I can into it. Mm-hmm. So it's a ton of work. Yeah. But I'm really proud of the thing of the finished product cuz like I I don't know, I it's just it's fun to be able to just dissect it the way that I the way that I do. But mm-hmm. um uh yeah, so I I don't know. I I'm curious to uh, if you have any like thoughts when you listen to the review, if there's anything that um, you disagree with or picked up on, or okay. uh, that I picked up on, or anything, I'll listen to it tomorrow. I gotta, I gotta nice. drive tomorrow. So sweet, yeah. nice, awesome. Um, yeah. So, oh, uh, I kind of forgot this. Let's introduce you. So, yeah, <laughs> Tiny, uh, you've been on the show before, so mm-hmm. we don't need to really dispense with all of the um regular stuff but why don't you just mention the your two podcasts that i don't have any vested interest in um. <laughs> so the two podcasts that i'm on are yes. the obsessive viewer mm-hmm. where we talk about movies and tv shows um mostly like kind of review stuff mm-hmm. um we do 
some topic stuff every once in a while, mm-hmm. but that's kind of how it started. But we've really mostly gotten into reviews and sort of just yeah. talking about stuff that we like. And uh, we do a segment called Potpourri, mm-hmm. and sometimes we'll do a whole episode of Potpourri where we talk about stuff we've been watching or stuff we're looking forward to. Um, so that's a really fun movie and TV podcast we do. And then, nice. uh, was it four years ago, three years ago, we started Tower Junkies? Three years ago. Three years ago. Three yep. years ago. Three um, years ago in like a couple of weeks. Okay, nice. Yeah. We started uh, Tower Junkies, which is um, our Stephen King podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, most, well, somewhat focused on uh, the Dark Tower series. <laughs> uh, occasional, with occasional, an occasional focus. <laughs> occasional focus on. Um, I'm actually really happy that that kind of morphed into a general Stephen King I, me, me too. podcast. I think yeah. that makes sense. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the title. No, calling it Tower Junkies or whatever. So. Yeah, but yeah, we uh, man, that's that's been a really fun podcast. We've been doing, I think the last like six or seven episodes we've done, it's been Tower Junkies. Oh yeah, um, yep. And I just I love it. I'm we're both huge Stephen King fans. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about the books, we talk about the TV shows that have been adapted from his books and the movies, and there's just so much content from that man's brain. Uh, that it's we had to start a podcast because we're such big fans. And it's insane. It's it's really fun. Um, yeah, yeah. That's been that's been a lot of fun over the last several months. We've been nice doing Tower Junkies episodes left and right. So yeah. Well, that sounds amazing, Tiny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's funny because like I because we just finished. Um, if if you guys are interested in checking out Tower Junkies, of course, you know where to find it. But um, we just finished our season two review series on Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. And since I'm insane, I've made a master list of all the potential episodes that we can do for Tower Junkies on the website. <laughs> and it's just like I get so much satisfaction out of being able to like look at that and look at that master list and see that we've covered all iterations of like The Shining and to see that we've finished our review series on Castle Rock and uh it's just really it's really satisfying like that's I don't know it's it's a lot of fun I'm really glad that we're uh doing that Absolutely Yeah Um yeah so anthology uh are you are you a fan of the show Yeah um <laughs> okay, cool. I I haven't listened to a lot of it because I like you have never watched the Twilight Zone Right and yeah that's was going to be one of my next questions but yeah yeah, I have not been a good fan mm-hmm. about watching the show, <laughs> and like I don't want to listen to your review if I haven't seen the episode. Right, so it's something I got to get on. Um, mm-hmm. And and you know, the Twilight Zone's a big blind spot for me. Yeah. So yeah, I am obviously two seasons into the Twilight Zone, the original series, and I've devoted a very large uh, chunk of my life to it. Um, even if you don't listen to the show, I recommend checking, like watching, just watch it as much as you can because it's so freaking good everything i've seen i really liked yeah i just yeah yeah i recommended that you watch the obsolete man did you ever end up watching that i have not watched that yet okay okay it's really good um (laughs) yeah uh yeah cool so uh yeah that was gonna be my next question like how much of the twilight zone have you watched since your last appearance on the podcast if any um well i uh, i don't think i've watched any Oh wow! Okay. I know. it's I'm like I said, I'm a terrible fan. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know why. I just I don't have I don't have an excuse really. I just haven't mm. watched it. Nice. Do you think? Uh, are you going to? Is this conversation going to uh, push you toward uh, picking it back up, or is it something that you'll just get to when you get to? 
It really should because um, I just love that Netflix, you can like download episodes and just have them on yeah. your phone. Um, and I've been watching a lot of stuff on my phone lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so I should start doing that, just throwing a few episodes on my phone and yeah. you know, just having them there. And when I think about, oh, I need to watch that, and I'll just watch it. And Nice. That's what I should do. I definitely recommend it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because, like, I mean, it's like 25-minute episodes at most, and just they pack there, – there's so much packed into it. And, like, to right. get – to kind of uh, – not to jump ahead too much because I have other stuff I want to mention. Um, if you liked the dialogue and the just the um, the writing of Seven Days in May, like – I like there's a scene we'll talk about it but there's a scene where I was just like this like Rod Serling is just brilliant like I don't know how much of it was from the book but the way that he handles just people talking and interacting with each other Mm -hmm. it's this weird meld of taking a what could be a pretty dry but still dramatic situation and creating tension just through dialogue and interaction. And some of that is on uh, John Frankenheimer, mm-hmm. um, his directing and the performers, but also just giving the information in such an approachable, like straightforward way for like, it, like it's a political thriller and I did not feel bogged down by any, like any kind of, uh, too like too inside thing or uh too much information about you know the details of it it's just very straightforward and and everything so anyway if you liked that writing style and and the dialogue and everything i highly recommend the twilight zone because he wrote like 90 some percent of the episodes (laughs) right yeah um yep um so so you did that did that so we didn't talk about this on the patreon thing but i wanted to mention it uh, kind of up front on this episode because the Apple TV Plus, I think, okay, um, adaptation of Foundation. Yes, they released a teaser trailer, mm-hmm. and so Foundation is a book series by Isaac Asimov that you and I have read the first one. Um, right, I haven't read any more, and I don't believe you have either. I have not. But we talked about it on Patreon at one point, and yeah, well, then kind of by happenstance, they released this teaser. What did you think of the teaser, and uh, are you excited for Foundation? I am really excited for it. I wish it wasn't on Apple TV, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, just because I don't have that subscription. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, that's really exciting, and uh, having read the book, um, I think when we briefly talked about it... Um, one of us mentioned. I don't. I don't say. I don't remember if it was me or if it was you. But one of us <laughs> mentioned that um, I think it would be extremely difficult to adapt for TV or movie. Yeah. Um. And so, be, just because of that, I'm really excited to see just if they pull it off. Mm-hmm. Because it's it, it just the constraints of the story make it so difficult to adapt to any other medium than 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 uh, text. Yeah. Uh it's just just really tough, but uh you know the the teaser I I kind of so I've only watched it once and I watched it on my phone. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't paying too close attention because 
it wasn't a good environment to be watching it. And I was like, sure. uh, I really just shouldn't watch this. That looks really cool though. Oh, but man, I'm just going to turn it. Oh, well, look at that part. And like, <laughs> I should have just shut it off and like waited till I got home mm. and watched it somewhere else, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I should have done that, but, uh, I, I don't really remember too much of it. Um, I just remember yeah. liking the visuals mm-hmm. um, and some of the casting, uh, like uh, uh, Lee Pace. Lee Pace and uh, Jared Harris is in it Jared also. Harris, yeah. Uh, very, yeah. I, I'm really intrigued by it. Just like I wasn't too hot on the book, on the first book, but uh, like I said in, in our Patreon recording a while back, um, it feels like the type of story that, I will grow more into the further I get in the series. Um, at least yeah. that's my hope because the first one is kind of just scattered and there's a lot of information that's kind of dry and everything. So, um, yeah, so we'll see, but the visuals of it look really cool for the, for the adaptation. So, Absolutely. um, it doesn't have a release date or anything, but it's expected to be out next year. So we have time, but, mm-hmm. um, it'll be interesting. Are you going to have any way to watch that? Like, you have to watch it on your computer, basically? Uh, probably. I'll figure something out. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully, maybe, yeah. I don't plan on that, or I don't anticipate this, but I think that maybe at some point I would hope that they do, like, a standalone thing. Because I would be more than happy to get a subscription yeah. if they had, like, a standalone app that you didn't need Apple TV or anything. Right. Like, I just think that that's kind of silly. That is, um, I didn't even realize that until you told me about that. You, yeah. ha- you have to have, for those who don't know, you have to have an Apple device to watch Apple TV content. Yep. Yep. Um, which sucks. Yep. Uh, which I have an, I have an iPhone, but that's all I have. I mm-hmm. don't have, I have a laptop, but I don't ever, I haven't turned it on in years. Right. Um, you haven't had it at your house in like yeah, a year right. or more. <laughs> um, um, cause I have it. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah. We used to have an Apple TV, but we just never used it. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really kicking yourself now, aren't you? A little bit. Yeah, but like that's the thing. So like I like Apple TV Plus has like some things. Like Ben on Obsessive Viewer has talked about it, and like he's not too hot on it or anything. But like there's some yeah. stuff that I want to check out. Like mm-hmm. um, there's like a mini series or something from M Night Shyamalan, I think, producing mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, there's a uh, pretty much. <laughs> uh, Relevant to this podcast, there is a re- remake or reboot of Amazing Stories, the um, 80s Steven Spielberg uh, anthology show, hmm. um, more fantasy and everything, um, that I want to check out. And yeah, I just, I don't, ha- like, I would have to, I'm not, I, I would rather spend the 10 or so bucks for a month subscription that I can watch on my PlayStation Rather than like, I think it's ridiculous to think like, okay, well, or I can buy a $200 Apple TV or however much it is <laughs> right? and not need, it's so dumb. Yeah. It really is. Yep. Um, so anyway, uh, we'll see how that goes and we'll see what the world is like in 2021. Yeah. Um, I yeah. really, I'm surprised Apple hasn't come out with like a, like a streaming stick. I am too. That's really, yeah. Cause Chromecast and mm-hmm. Amazon fire sticks yeah. are like so fantastic. Like right. we have, a, we use a, a fire stick. Um, mm. and it just seems like Apple would totally be into that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an affordable thing. That's why. That's why, like, that's what I was going to say. Like, right. yeah, if they did, it would be like a hundred dollar right. stick or something. But I, I, I would, I, maybe it's just me being optimistic and I am a fan of Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but not one like the fanboys who that's right not, that's not me but i do like their stuff but like i i would think that maybe they could do one for like 50 bucks you know yeah because a chromecast is like 25 bucks something like that yeah. an apple fire stick is or i'm sorry an amazon fire mm-hmm. stick is i think just like the the non 4k one is like it's like 25 bucks yeah it's so affordable i would think that they could be highly competitive at 50 bucks right which, which oh yeah i'd be willing to spend 50 dollars. i would probably maybe uh be willing <laughs> to spend that much because like and i like i have somewhat of an interest in it in in having like any like access to my apple stuff because like i have some movies on itunes that i bought way back when or that i redeemed the digital copy of not thinking that it would tie like wouldn't tie to like my voodoo account or anything Mm -hmm. so like i have stuff on itunes that i could watch and put in the rotation of things that i can watch yeah i just don't have any way to access it without just watching it on my computer right so kind of dumb yeah they should also just have an app yeah yep be cool yep. yeah exactly <laughs> oh, but anyway um yeah this is anthology oh you're fine <laughs> um we're fine so <laughs> tiny let's go into our review of seven days in may let's um and let's delay it just a little bit further and say uh so yeah, so we've covered that you haven't really watched that much Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen the time element because you were on for that, mm-hmm. um, which I don't remember much of that review or or the episode. Yeah. Um, but I think you liked it. Oh, I did like it yeah. a lot. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, you've seen Planet of the Apes, right? The original, no. Really? Actually, I I've just seen the um, the James Franco ones. Those are all I've seen. I, I didn't even see the shitty, uh, the shitty Mark Wahlberg one. I've never even seen that one. I've never wow. seen any of them. I just, it's never been my thing. Okay. Holy crap. Yeah. Cause, um, so, so in the sphere of Twilight Zone podcasters, uh, there's Tom Elliott, who I've mentioned on the podcast before. He does the Twilight Zone podcast. Okay. Um, he's kind of like, like he's, he's been doing it for a long time. He's very good, mm-hmm. but he, he has a point of saying in, in several episodes, he mentions that, uh, he considers Planet of the Apes, which Rod Serling co-wrote or had a writing credit on. Okay. Um, he considers that to be like the one true Twilight Zone movie. Okay. Um, so that is interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. I did not know that. Interesting. Yeah, I've just never for no no particular reason. I probably like them. I've just yeah. never just never watched them. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very good. Um, nice. so how many with, are there that? Oh, there are a ton. It's like maybe if you don't count the revival or the James Franco or James Franco was just in one of them. Right, um, he was. But uh, I want to say there's like seven. Maybe, really? Or maybe not. Wow, I thought there was like four or five. There, it might be. I I know, like way back when in like 2014, I did a review series of all of them. Okay. Um, on the website. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because like, um, Planet of the Apes, it's very similar to, um, a season one episode of the Twilight Zone. Um, oh, okay. I shot an arrow into the air. Um, for the most part. There's five. Five. Okay. Yeah. Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Right. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, 
Um, yeah, I've I've seen the most recent trilogy, Rise, okay. Dawn, and War. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were uh, the first one. They were they were really good. I liked yeah. those a lot. Me too. Me too. So, yeah, that's that, that's. A, I didn't realize that um, Rod Serling wrote them. Oh yeah. Didn't well, he wrote that. the first one. He wrote the first one. Um, and I think it's like a co-writing credit. Okay. Um, gotcha. I didn't realize he'd written that. Yeah, but it definitely has that that Twilight Zone feel to it. Okay. Um, really good. I think you'd really enjoy. Um, them and like some of the sequels are pretty decent if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, yeah, pretty cool. So yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, with that out of the way, let's talk about Seven Days in May. <laughs> yes. I'm suggesting, Mr. President, there's a military plot to take over the government. This may occur sometime this coming Sunday. There are some who will say it can never happen here. But this is the story of how it could happen in seven days of intrigue, of blackmail, of terror, an eternity of suspense. This is the astounding story of a military plot to overthrow the government of the United States, which, if successful, would change the fate of every American. Um, so, Seven Days in May is from 1964. Uh, the plot summary is... United States military leaders plot to overthrow the president because he supports a nuclear disarmament treaty and they fear a Soviet sneak attack. Uh, this movie stars Burt Lancaster as General James Mattoon Scott. And I just realized I do have notes for this. Um, <laughs> uh, Kirk Douglas as Colonel Martin Jiggs Casey. Frederick March as President Jordan Lyman. Ava Gardner as Eleanor Holbrook. Uh, and then uh, Edmund O'Brien as uh, Senator Clark, and rounding out the cast is Martin Balsam as Paul Gerard. Um, I meant to make notes and see if if anyone else has had appearances on the Twilight Zone, but Martin Balsam is in at least one episode so far that I've seen. I recognize them. Uh, yeah. Yep. Oh, he was also in the Time Element as well. Yes. Um, right. And he was also obviously in Psycho. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Wasn't he in? He was in an episode of the Twilight Zone in season one. Yep, one of the early ones, like the second or third, or the third or fourth episode, uh, the sixteen millimeter shrine. That yeah, that yep. was a great episode. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, he's good. Yep, uh, and then writer for this movie um, <laughs> was of course Rod Serling, adapted from a novel by Fletcher uh, Neville and Charles W. Bailey the second, and director is John Frankenheimer. Love John Frankenheimer. Oh yeah, he's amazing. Manchurian Candidate, French Connection. Yep. Yep. Ronan. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, the Manchurian Candidate's great. Such a good movie. Yeah, and uh, apparently this movie, uh, Seven Days in May, is considered part of a of like a quote unquote paranoia thrill or paranoia uh, paranoia trilogy. Oh. Um. So Frankenheimer did the Manchurian Candidate in 1962, and then 1964 he did Seven Days in May, and then if I'm not mistaken, let me check the year. Mm-hmm. Um, then in, I think it's 1966, let me double check, uh, 1966, he did seconds. Um, okay. yeah, which I did a bonus review of, and it is available on CBS all access, by, by the way. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, but I did a bonus review of that on an early episode of anthology. Um, yeah. Cause I think one of the actors was also in an episode of the twilight zone. Okay. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, that's like his paranoia trilogy. Okay, I should cool. really revisit seconds. Um, in other words, tiny, 
I should go back for seconds. Hey, um, puns. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so anyway, Seven Days in May is like the middle of that trilogy kind of thing. Okay. And uh, I do have some notes about John Frankenheimer as, it re- as he relates to The Twilight Zone. So if you'll indulge me for a second. Yeah, sure. Okay. So he never directed an episode of The Twilight Zone, but he did direct several of Serling's scripts for other TV shows. So I have a list here. So he directed one episode of Danger um, titled Knife in the Dark, which was written by Rod Serling. And he directed four of Serling's Playhouse 90 episodes. Um, there was Forbidden Area in 1956, The Comedian in 1957, which was my bonus review for episode 30 of the podcast, and Bomber's Moon from 1958, which was a bonus review for episode 34 of the podcast, and the last Playhouse 90 episode that he directed of Serling's was A Town Has Turned to Dust, which, you guessed it, is uh, uh, a bonus review for episode 45 of the podcast. And then he also directed two um, of Serling's scripts for the show Climax, which were titled, uh, they were both in 1955. They were titled the To Wake at Midnight and Portrait and Celluloid. Um, so yeah, so that's the information I have for John Frankenheimer. Wow. Um, yeah. And man, his, his directing is just incredible, especially in this movie. I was really into, into his direction. So, Absolutely. Yeah, so we are probably going to go the obsessive viewer route into a non-spoiler and spoiler review for Seven Days in May. So we're going to go ahead and go into non-spoilers. And Tiny, um, what were your expectations going in? What did you know about this movie movie before I kind of assigned it to you? And how did you feel in kind of broad terms about it? Uh, I never had I had never heard of the movie mm-hmm. before you mentioned it. Um, I... I didn't really know anything about it going in. I kind of wanted to go in blind just mm-hmm. to, just to kind of, just for fun, I guess. I, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. That's sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's a bad, uh, bad decision, but, uh, yeah, it worked out this time. Um, yes. I kind of, it kind of got set up, not spoiled, but like mm-hmm. kind of, I kind of knew what it was about because, like, I saw the movie poster and it's oh, yeah. like um, the astounding story of an astounding military plot to take over the United States. I was like, oh, well, okay, I kind of, <laughs> kind of know a little bit about it, right? Now. Um, but that was fine. Um, so I, yeah, I knew so little about it going in. I really didn't have any expectations. Okay. Um, I don't think you, you even told me how it relates to <laughs> no. how how it relates, and then I I looked at it and I was like, oh, written by Rod yep. Serling. That's kind of kind of obvious there. Um, <laughs> so really, the only part of your question I can answer is mm-hmm. how I felt about it overall. Yes. Um, I really really liked it a lot. Nice. That was a great movie. Um. Of course, great writing. Um, I loved the acting too. I don't think I had ever seen Burt Lancaster in anything. I I can't think of anything that I've seen him in either. Yeah, I knew his name. But, yeah, but that was about it. And also, I don't think I'd ever seen Ava Gardner. Oh yeah, I know her name, but it, it wasn't really familiar with her at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like those those three, uh, 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 um, Kirk Douglas, Burt Lancaster, and Ava Gardner were. All three just absolutely fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Really, I, honestly, I think the standout was probably Ava Gardner. Oh, yeah? Because she's on screen so little. And, yeah. And just her her, her back and forth with... I feel, like, I feel like she kind of outshined Kirk Douglas a little bit. I could definitely see that, like, yeah. Just, I couldn't take my eyes off her. She was just fantastic. Um, yeah. The scene but, in, uh, in where the kind of big moment with him and her uh, yeah. when he's getting the... When he wants to get the letters. Yeah. Just, whew. 
that was that was really powerful uh really good stuff really really good yeah um so yeah i hadn't and, and really kirk douglas i watched spartacus and there was this funny old well Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea um was a movie he was in i say it's funny because i think it's like a disney movie oh yeah um, it's good it's it's a good movie but um uh so he's in that like that's those are like the only two movies i've ever seen kirk douglas in yeah um, you know i just i he, he's such a prolific actor and he lived to be like 270 years old <laughs> right. uh he's been in so much i just but i just haven't really seen him that much and just didn't really have an opinion on him as an actor mm-hmm. um but this kind of this really blossomed in my opinion of him. I thought he was great in this. Oh yeah. Um it was it was good to see him in a leading role. Um, mm-hmm. and his his character was so fun because I feel like he was he was very non-committal to things. Like he was mm-hmm. he was such a cautious actor uh like amongst this plot yeah like you know he was sort of he wasn't like playing both sides but he was very he was just so delicate and just like yeah the parts where he's he's talking that like you used the word tension when you were talking about Mm -hmm. the movie earlier and that's that's just the best adjective for this movie it's so tense yeah um because it's really just people talking for two hours there's not right not really action in this movie um but i i think so much of that tension comes from the fact that um, Jiggs, the character of Jiggs, played by Kirk Douglas, is mm. just walking this tightrope through the whole movie. Yeah, um, really impressively. Um, that was one of my favorite parts of it. Uh, just, just overall, a really well crafted movie on so many fronts. Mm. Great acting, loved the writing, super good dialogue, and uh, and yeah, Frankenheimer did some good camera work. Yeah, and, and some nice directing. Uh, I really, really like this movie a lot. Me too. And it's it's something that has always been on my radar since starting Anthology, of course. Um, and I think more so than some of Serling's other projects and everything, um, I've just been very interested in it because Serling had such a, a, a strong grasp of how to articulate like the era that he lived in and the threats and the, the fears and everything. And of course the majority of my, um, the majority of my, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, my gateway into that, or the majority of my knowledge of his style in that, in that fashion is through the twilight zone and through genre and through science fiction and fantasy. And so seeing like a straightforward, dramatic, thing in which he wrote out all the beats and everything granted it's adapted from a book but i don't know how closely it is to the book or anything Mm -hmm. but just like i said the way that he is able to just take these um kind of i don't necessarily want to say complex because it's not really that complex in terms of the plot and everything yeah but it is somewhat far-fetched or outside what would otherwise be outside the realm of possibility. Um, or, or I don't, I don't know. Um, he takes the, the concept and he boils it down to, to a point that is very much approachable and believable. And that's complemented very well by the acting as well. Um, Mm -hmm. like I said, there's a scene where Kirk Douglas and Martin Balsam and, uh, the guy playing President Lyman are in, uh, uh, Friedrich March, um, are in, I think it's the Oval Office or they're in the White House and they're talking and it's where, 
like it's where Jiggs is giving the get like he's outlining what's going on. He's telling he's like telling his concerns to the president. And to your point, Tiny, about how Kirk Douglas's character is noncommittal and how his his style is just so much like you said, noncommittal and everything. What I loved about that is that he is putting forth this he's he's just sharing this information and like he even says repeatedly in that scene he says i like the president is <laughs> the president is just like all right cut to the chase like right. what's, what what's the bottom line yeah. and he's like i don't know what i'm trying to say yeah. like i just i love that because it's it's authentic because it's such a it's such a such an extreme scenario that they find themselves in and it's something that those characters in that time in that in that scenario would probably not be able to articulate in a way yeah um and it's just it's so so good and like you said it's just mostly people talking for two hours and the tension is just so good it's fantastic um yeah really really loved it yeah in that scene and i, I think they were like somewhere in the west wing for that mm-hmm. scene um what's so cool about it is he's basically just like stating these facts yeah and he he basically once the president and his, I guess Martin Balsam was like his chief of staff, I think. Yeah, or some kind of aide. Some kind of aide. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's basically like, "Can you put this together?" He's like giving these mm-hmm. facts, and he's like, "You should be able to put together what I'm laying out here, right?" Without me coming out and saying it. Um, and that I just loved the writing and the, the craft of that scene was so good. Yeah. Um, but another cool thing about the movie is it it really it felt like very um kind of Shakespearean dr- drama to me. Yeah. Like like Coriolanus or something or even a little bit not 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 necessarily Macbeth-ish because mm-hmm. there wasn't any like mysticism or, or magic or anything like right. that. But uh yeah, just just so uh, just because of the like the mutiny and the military side of it. Yeah. Had it, that had that feel to it. It does have that feel of like the structure of like a a tragedy, a Shakespearean tragedy right. to an extent. Right. Um just really, really good. Mm-hmm. And what I love, what I loved about it is that there are like the tension is is pretty palpable, palpable throughout it. And it when the release of that tension, like or the kind of crescendo of each tense in, encounter and everything, um, like you said, there's very little action of any kind in this in this movie. And when there is action, or when there is something that would be a boiling point of the tension that's mounted throughout the throughout the movie it's off screen <laughs> right like we find out off screen things that happen and like the the structure of that and and the way that that is utilized is that puts all of the that takes what would have otherwise been like a thriller like a thrilling like action set piece or like a like um a shock thing for in terms of narrative it flips that since we don't see it and it just creates this scenario where instead of us being like like shocked by something happening it's more of a oh we're sympathetic to the characters who are learning this information after the fact Mm -hmm. and we're trying to like it's we're figuring out like oh okay well this is the next phase of this plot that's going on and now instead of like being reeled by something that would have been like uh, nowadays a big blockbuster kind of set piece um 
we're kind of just with the characters in learning these facts and reacting to them. And we're anxiously awaiting like the next phase of what they're going to do in order to stop it. It's very like, it's, it feels so steeped in obviously the cold war and everything. Like Mm -hmm. it's all like possibility and like what could happen without, with limited intelligence in terms of like what the different pieces are on, like instead of being like a, a plot that's unraveling where you see the pieces on the board and you're moving them into position and stuff. It's like, it's steeped in this cold war era where we don't even know what pieces are on the board or where they're positioned, but we need like the characters need to position themselves in a way to, you know, prevent something disastrous from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, I really love that. Yeah. Um, it's also, I think one of the cool things about it too, is the fact that it's came out in 1964. So this was like, mm-hmm probably not even a year away from removed from the the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. Um, which, you know, there are a lot of theories out there about how, uh, you know, that was a military assassination or that was a right. government assassination. Um, because Kennedy wasn't falling in line or he wasn't handling mm. the cold war, the pay the way that the military leaders wanted him to, or the CIA wanted him to whatever. I'm not very well versed in the, Kennedy assassination. I know there's all kinds of stuff out there, but mm-hmm. um, it's it's interesting to to see a movie like this because while it's treasonous and irrational and 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 you know uh, undemocratic, mm-hmm. you know to to basically mutinize or or perpetrate a coup against the 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 president. It's um, I I it almost felt kind of cathartic, I guess, because. Mm-hmm. As a nation, I don't want to say we because I wasn't alive, but right. as a nation and as a society, we took that assassination really hard. Yeah. And that was a really hard thing. And it's almost like Rod Serling was writing this in a way of like, you know, that that was a, if you believe that, that was a successful mutiny upon the United States. Someone, oh, yeah. even if it was just, um, uh, what's his, wow, the assassin. Um, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. I wanted to say John Hulk's booth. Oh, God. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> Even if it was just Lee Harvey Oswald, it's still, in a way, a mutiny on the United States because that's what he was trying to do is get him out of power. Um, th- this is – in this movie, things go differently. And, and the, the level-headed, um, peaceful-thinking leader mm-hmm. um, signs a disarmament treaty. And yeah. it's like, you know, Kennedy may have been the person to do that mm-hmm. in the sixties, but we never got that chance. Right. Um, and that's, I, I sort of made that connection. I have no idea if the writers of the novel or Rod Serling were thinking about the Kennedy assassination and the country's catharsis or the country's thoughts on that, um, as a society when they were writing this, but I, I felt a link there, I guess, mm-hmm. as I was watching it. I actually have some trivia about that. Okay. So, uh, according to trivia, um, so a couple things. One is that Kirk Douglas had been at a dinner with JFK, uh, when JFK asked him if he planned to make the novel seven days in May into a movie. And, uh, when Kirk Douglas said, yes, uh, the president spent the next half hour telling him how great a movie it would be. <laughs> wow. Um, and then another piece of trivia that I found was, um, 
this was originally scheduled to release in December of 1963, but oh. Bert, yeah, yeah. But Burt Lancaster insisted the release date be postponed since it was too soon after the assassination of JFK. Yeah. Um, which the same thing kind of happened with Dr. Strangelove. Uh-huh. Um, and let me kind of sidetrack us just a little bit and ask you, have you seen the Sidney Lament movie from 1964, Failsafe? No. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It also features um, Twilight Zone alum Fritz Weaver. Okay. Which isn't in this movie. I don't know why I said also, but it does <laughs> feature that. I have the Blu-ray if you want to borrow it. Okay. Um, highly, highly recommend it. Okay. Um, do you know anything about it? No, nothing. Oh, that that'd be cool. Didn't you, I think you told me about it, though? Isn't it? Isn't it kind of like Doctor Strangelove, but not comedy? <laughs> it is very much like Doctor Strangelove. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there was like a lawsuit involved too. I think. Really. I don't know. It, uh, I don't know. Look it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, yeah. But both both are obviously really good. Nice. Um, I'm hoping. Uh, for the website for obsessiveviewer.com, I have a review of Failsafe that I want to post on November third. Um, which is the election day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to do, like, I want to do, uh, I want to post three reviews that day. I want to post Failsafe, Dr. Strangelove, and the Manchurian Candidate. <laughs> uh, like, post those reviews all throughout the day. So, like, when the polls open, uh, post the Failsafe review, and then <laughs> nice. uh, Manchurian Candidate, like, in the in the afternoon, and then when the polls close, Dr. Strangelove. Um, <laughs> I still need to review Manchurian Candidate and Dr. Strangelove, but, oh, God. It's it's so interesting because 1964, we had Dr. Strangelove, Failsafe, Seven Days in May. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's so interesting to, like, think about going back and just watching that media of the time, of the, like, kind of the political climate and everything. Right. Um, the political hive mind, really. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. Yeah. Um yeah, so whew, uh so you liked Ava Gardner um a mm. lot. How did you feel about her plot and and the her arc throughout the throughout the story? It was really interesting. Um I, I also wonder if there's a bit of a a Kennedy John F Kennedy link there too cuz I mean mm. it's yeah, basically a fact that he had an affair with Yeah. um uh Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. God, yeah. I am blanking so hard on things tonight. I don't know why for no reason. <laughs> mm. Um, but it's it's also it was also famously ignored by the media at the time. Oh yeah, they were they were it's it's completely different time back then. Mm-hmm. They were just kind of like yeah, that's his business between him and his wife. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a completely different a completely different time. The media ignoring something that's <laughs> an an unethical that a president's doing. Right. <laughs> really? Yeah. Completely different time. <laughs> But I just, I don't know, I feel like back then they felt differently about affairs. Yeah. You know, that was, and, and now it's, a sex scandals are everything now, mm-hmm. and they're so politicized, or they're so publicized. Yeah. Um, it was just a different time. And, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, there's, there were these, Ava Gardner's character, it's basically implied, not necessarily implied, but almost blatantly said that she had an affair with um, uh, Burt Lancaster's character. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really, I really love how it was used in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, when later on, President Lyman wanted to have it as a, as, as a way to basically assassinate the character of, uh, 
of the um the Burt Lancaster's character, I can't remember his name. Um, um General Scott. General Scott, yeah. Um so he and, and he he basically had it as a loaded gun, if you will. Yeah. Uh to tie it to Hamilton. Um right. you know. <laughs> uh he had the, he had that that loaded gun ready to go and I, I just love the fact that he had every President Lyman had every right to just fire that gun and and as a form of retribu- retribution or revenge or just flat out character assassination against him, but he chose not to. Um, I think speaks volumes to his char- to the character of President Lyman um, mm-hmm. in in the movie. I feel like Frederick March is a little lost uh, as as President Lyman. He's yeah. a little bit lost in the shuffle in a way as a character. Like he's um. He's just so he feels like such a reactive character throughout so much of the movie. Yeah, he's really just just kind of barking order, not barking mm-hmm. orders, but just kind of throwing orders. And he's not particularly likable either. Right. But then by the end of the movie, he's just so like that press conference. Yeah, he's so inspirational and just again, I kind of link it back to Kennedy, who was such mm-hmm. a great speaker and had all these incredible quotes that we still use today. Right. Um. And and that that press conference at the end of the movie felt like his sort of coming out party or his, his at least a, a very very satisfying comeuppance for the character yeah that he overcame such a crazy plot mm-hmm. and and handled it so well and and sort of sort of kind of shook it off right in that press conference and was like okay this this is what happened we're done and, yeah and i don't i don't know it was, it was so def- definitive mm-hmm. i i loved the writing yeah, um, I'm trying to think. Should I put a spoiler? <laughs> <laughs> and you were asking about Ava Gardner. That kind of oh yeah, yeah. spun off into something else. But yeah, yeah. For for me, Ava Gardner, she just I just loved her performance. I mean, and it's funny because she's she's one of those classic like Hollywood bombshells. Like yeah, she was really known early, at least as far as I know. I, I've never seen her in anything other than this. Mm-hmm. She's known as you know a, a a beautiful kind of sex symbol woman. Yeah, and obviously she's very beautiful in this movie, but that just had nothing to do right with why I loved her in this movie. Yeah, and even though like even her um her arc throughout it is in and in, integral to her arc is this affair subplot that um happens and and has happened in her past like it's not like a sexualized thing or anything right it's very much just a political maneuver that uh that is used used um uh, kind of against or potentially used against um uh the people plotting against the president and everything right and and it's funny because her character is kind of uh I don't want to say she has she has a bit of a reputation or a past of being mm. kind of vixen like kind of a um I don't know what the term is I'm looking for but just kind of a uh, a woman who has affairs with powerful women right. like she likes to be associated with the power I don't know mm-hmm. what it is but um she has that that appeal to her or that characteristic but it's funny because she's she's also clearly very intelligent and she's yeah. she's able to like feel out the the progress that's mm-hmm. or like where where the relationship with Jiggs is leading. Yeah. Like the way she figures it out and kind of and, and gets so offended by it, you know. Yes. Like she's 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 totally being used mm-hmm. in that in that scene and she just her reaction to it I, and is I, great. I love the way that that plays out. Because that that is one of the more um 
kind of kind of uh one of the one of the more like stage play type encounters in in the yeah. in the movie yeah. um i love that because there is this uh, there's this confusion or there's this misunderstanding to an extent. Like he is using her right. and and everything, but she thinks that he's using her to get right. dirt on the general where he's using it to save democracy right, right. <laughs> um, and prevent a coup. And it's like, it's such an interesting, again, balancing act between that, like having these characters that are, that have, that are reacting to a situation, but are reacting to it from completely different viewpoints right. and reacting to completely different uh, situations than what they're actually in. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a really just intricate kind of uh, plotting and, and from a dialogue perspective, it's just very just fulfilling and, and satisfying. It's just Absolutely. so good. Yeah. And and I love, I love Kirk Douglas in that scene too, mm-hmm. because he's, He's playing the role of the good soldier. Yeah, he's doing the hard job, the dirty job. That mm-hmm. that and, and President Lyman even says that it's like yeah. a thankless, dirty job. Um, and and he's he decimates and ruins his relationship with uh, Ava Gardner's character, which mm-hmm. is Eleanor. Eleanor. Um, he he ruins his relationship with her to protect the president. Yeah, and and he like I said, he's just he's playing the role of a dutiful soldier and a good mm-hmm. soldier. And it's it it doesn't change the fact that it's really it's really tragic. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. um, clearly he has feelings for her. Yeah. 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 Um. Whew. So let's talk about. Well, I kind of want to go into spoilers. We've we've touched on spoilers a little bit here, so hopefully it's not too spoilery. But let's go into spoilers for Seven Days in May. Um. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. I thought we kind of already spoiled some. Of we it we kind of did. So I'm kind of curious. <laughs> it how. was hard to bounce into that. It Sorry, was. Oh, you're fine. Um. All right, we're going to go into our spoiler review of Seven Days in May, just to see. Nice. Okay. Um, so there are some pretty big things that happen. So there is, um, I think it's Senator Clark is pretty much abducted and yeah. h- held in, ca- in captivity in that uh, secret base. Martin Balsam's character is murdered mm-hmm. in, a, in a plane crash. Yeah. And uh, Burt Lancaster is just an imposing guy. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's talk about those kind of elements of this of this movie. Um, let's start with uh, Martin Balsam and the kind of emotional crux of the movie where Lyman finds out that he has died in a plane crash. Mm-hmm. And this comes after he has that meeting with I can't remember his name, um, where he's getting the information or he's trying to get information and then he threatens the guy. And, uh, it's just, it's such a cool moment for Martin Balsam. I'm a huge fan of Martin Balsam. He's really good. Everything I've seen, he's amazing. Yeah. Um, and he does this and then they cuts away and then we don't see him again at all. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> until we find out that he died in a plane crash. And it's just so, I love that element of the story because it's showing the kind of overpowered nature like the the stakes of what they're up against are massive mm-hmm. and like even though this is kind of a a type of these days it would be kind of seen as a narrative kind of cliche to an extent here it's just it's so much more powerful and palpable because 
these characters like it's a conspiracy they they are up against something that they don't understand like meaning the president and 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 uh Kirk Douglas and and uh Martin Balsam they're up against something that is whispers and it's mm. something that's not really that uh that they don't have the hard facts of it so when they have like one of one of their one of their team uh murdered <laughs> in an accident it's like it's it just brings home the gravity of what they're facing and what they're up against and what the country's up against so Mm -hmm. i just really appreciate that how did you feel about it did you kind of see that coming or how did you feel about it i didn't really see it coming um but what what i think is interesting about the tone of the movie um is i feel like that moment where uh martin balsam's character is is killed Mm -hmm. is really a turning point because i feel like early on the first act or two of the movie uh president lyman like i said is not very likable and i feel Mm -hmm. like he hasn't he like the cards are really stacked against him yeah uh as far as uh, whether or not this arms this disarmament treaty was a good thing Mm -hmm. i feel like even at like from the standpoint of the audience watching the movie you don't necessarily think he's wrong but it's like everybody else in the movie thinks he's wrong yeah and like He's, he hasn't really presented a, a very good case mm-hmm. as to why the disarmament treaty was a good thing. And so, in a way, you're not necessarily condoning what General Scott and the Joint Chiefs are doing, mm-hmm. but you understand it a little better. Yeah. But then I feel like after that murder, when, when Martin Balsam is killed, I feel like it really shifts. Like, you really... Mm-hmm. Because obviously they've they've taken it so far that they're willing to kill an innocent person, to right? Do it. And that's that's what I love about that. It really ushers in the third act mm-hmm. in a beautiful way and really flips the tables. Yeah, that was so great because, um, like you just said, Burt Lancaster is very imposing. Mm-hmm. I feel like his imposing nature takes over in that third act, definitely, and he just becomes a stalwart, will not back down, mm-hmm. even when he's defeated, kind of person. Yeah. Um, and, and he, he loses his credibility after that. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, okay, like I, obviously I'm not in, in favor of mutiny or, right. or coups, despite how much I, I don't like our current president. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, there, you just, you empathize to an extent. Yeah. With, you can definitely the, see the perspective that he's coming from. Right. Even and though it's, it's a good perspective. Yeah. And it's, it's really just the strength of the writing, of course, mm-hmm. but it's also just, it's what, you, what you do best with like the best way to showcase a villain is like the villain is never the villain of their story. <laughs> right. Like they're the hero of their story. And mm-hmm. like what I love is also another way that it's kind of flipped around a little bit is that kind of big climactic scene with Lyman and, 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 uh, and Oh my God, why, uh, Scott, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, where they, where they're having their confrontation and everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's where the gloves are coming off. Like Lyman is just point blank telling him like, Hey, you were, a megalomaniac you're this isn't he's he's also appealing to like his sense of duty and and upholding the constitution and everything is like this is going to destroy the country mm-hmm. to do this and everything it's just it's such an interesting again i use this word frequently but an interesting balancing act and it's just it's so satisfying just everything about it yep i really loved it um, yeah i also love the uh the kind of final confrontation between um Jigs and General Scott. Yes. Um, but I say, so it's, it's fun because I feel like that set piece, <clears throat> I feel like that set piece where I don't know what it's at the Pentagon and it's like, mm. 
there's like that gate that he that that um Jiggs goes through several times in the movie. Yeah. And there's like that that changing clock mm-hmm. um which I nerd out a little bit because I think that's like a, a time a, a time uh uh what's it called? Like a time recorder machine. Like, oh yeah. Like my com- the company I work for started oh, out in that. Nice. And I was like, I wonder if that's a like a simplex time recorder machine. I don't that's know. That's awesome. <laughs> it's it, it just they showed it so much in the movie, and I feel like it was modern technology for the time. They're like, "Look how cool the Pentagon is! Look at this clock. Oh yeah, with the date and the time. It's cool." <laughs> um, but anyway, so that set piece was really cool, and I love how they just basically cross each other's paths inadvertently, mm-hmm. and they have this little confrontation. And I, it, I just love how Jigs really had the upper hand. I don't even remember yeah. what he said. Very oh, much. I remember what he said. Yeah, what exactly did he say? I'm looking up the actual quote because it's so just beautiful. Um, uh, let me try to find it. Hang on, because his character Jigs is a little—he's—he's he's criticized for being for walking a tightrope and not mm-hmm. taking very, um, not taking extreme opinions on anything or not. Not not voicing his opinions on things, right? And yeah, being kind of a centrist and a, sort of indecisive, if you will. Um, but his the way he played it ended up working out. Yeah. Oh, so he absolutely. Really, he really has him in that moment. Um, I can't remember exactly what he says though. Um, yeah. So he says. Um, Scott says something to him, uh, like he basically is insinuating that he uh, that um, Jigs is Judas. Yeah. Um, and then he says, like, you know, Judas, right? And then, uh, and then Jig says, yes, I know who Judas was. He was a man I worked for and admired until he disgraced the four stars on his uniform. Yes. <laughs> Just so beautiful. That's awesome. Um, and then Mike drops and walks out. Yep. Oh, yeah. Great. Um, he dabs on his way out, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's really, just really satisfying. Um, the way that that kind of all came together. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to mention, I don't know per se, I, I don't know any, like, any fact to this, but it feels like this story and, and the movie itself feels like it, it feels like I would be surprised if Aaron Sorkin didn't take a lot of influence or, or, uh, um, inspiration from this movie mm-hmm. when making the West wing. Yeah. Um, just, it has just such a, such a West wing feel yeah. to it. Um, <laughs> even out of the president's name, Lyman. <laughs> right. Um, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I just I I thought that was uh pretty cool. Both kind of deal with idealistic presidents. I definitely thought of the West Wing a few times. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to your point of how this is going to be just a stupid jab, but um, when you said that, yeah, you know, everyone else just doesn't like the president in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, yeah, you know, the opening. The opening scene, like like the opening scene, is protesters outside the White House and them looking at the newspaper and saying that he has a twenty nine percent approval rating, <laughs> which is insane. Right. Um, and then my quick jab was going to be like, and he's not even in the bunker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so nice. Yeah. Um, I guess he didn't have to inspect it that day. Yeah. But. Um, <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Um, let's see. So, what else can we talk about in this in this in this movie? Um, I I sort of am. I'm sort of thrilled by the idea of military leaders getting into politics. Oh, okay. Running for office because I feel like that's a 
obviously our first president of the United States was a right. was the you know general of the army. Mm-hmm. Um, and up until, yes, I've seen Hamilton. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, up and you know even up into the 20th century, Dwight Eisenhower. You know, mm-hmm. was a, I think our last president who was a like a general. Um, I know, yeah. I know like John F. Kennedy was like a captain in the Navy mm-hmm. and like a lot of presidents have had, um, military service, but as far as like a true, like Eisenhower, like he led part of the Western or he led part of the, uh, European front European. in World War II. Like he was yeah. like a four star general. Um, and I feel like we've just gotten really far away from that. Like you never really mm-hmm. hear about that anymore. Right. I think a few years ago there were some whispers about Petraeus maybe getting in oh, the game. Yeah. Um, and then, um, I think, wasn't there talk about Colin Powell? Yeah. Colin Powell's yeah. been mentioned, um, several times back in the day or back mm-hmm. in the 90s. Um, and then, um, wow, who was, who was Trump's guy, um, that he fired and now is speaking out against him? Um, I can't think of Bolton? his name. Not John Bolton. No. John Bolton's a douchebag. Um, um, yeah. Mary Trump. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, I can't think of his name. Um, Stormy Daniels. Um, uh, Roger Stone. <laughs> it's killing me. Um, oh, no, no. He's buddies with Roger Stone. Um, <laughs> I can't think of him. Wow. But, but he, um, he, he, was in, he was part of the Trump cabinet, and, and, mm-hmm. and he's a very level-headed guy. People like him a lot, and I just... I, I love the idea of because to me the, the presidency is about leadership as opposed mm-hmm. to political experience or um, anything really. It's just about being a good leader. Like yeah. George Washington didn't really know anything about politics. You know? Right, he was just a really good leader. He wasn't mm-hmm. even a great military mind. He just knew how to lead people really well. Right, and I think that's the most important uh, characteristic for someone to be a president and. Mm-hmm. It's just an inherent part of being a four, like you can't become a four star. You can't become a general without, you know, great leadership skills. Right. And it's it's something that we just. I I think it's something we should look at again as a <laughs> as a as a voting populace. You know, I yeah. think it'd be interesting to to look at those guys and mm-hmm. politically. And uh, there's a great example of it in this movie. Totally. Uh, yeah, I was gonna make a stupid Kanye West joke, oh, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's funny. Uh, but yeah, uh, well said. Well said. Yeah. Um, so does this movie make you want to? Should we wrap up first of all? Yeah, sure. Okay. So does this movie make you want to seek out more of Serling's work outside of the Twilight Zone? Does it make you want to watch more of the Twilight Zone? Um, and listen to my reviews. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> makes me want to watch more. Um. Definitely makes me want to watch more Twilight Zone. Nice. Yeah, I every because every time I watch something that Rod Serling wrote, I'm like, man, this is great, mm. really good writing, and I always end up liking it. I just, yeah. I feel like with older stuff, um, black and white stuff, I just have to be in the mood for it. Like, okay. for for some reason, it can really take me out of a movie or a show mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't I don't know why, but I think that's why I've sort of avoided or not not really dove into the Twilight Zone. Interesting. Um. But again, I always like it when I watch it, so it's it's really not a good excuse. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely need to up my game. Yes, and I will say you have hours and hours of back podcasts to listen to. <laughs> I do, I do. Um, but no, it's I highly recommend it. Of course, I definitely recommend watching Planet of the Apes um, as well. What I would honestly, it would be kind of cool uh of you to kind of watch a watch like a handful of episodes of the twilight zone and then take a break and watch planet of the apes and then i don't know okay um yeah i i have no control over what you do with your media so <laughs> um i can't dictate how you watch things but, yeah 
Yeah, but I will let you borrow Failsafe if you want to. Nice. Yeah. I was trying to think of uh, General James Mattis. Oh, okay. He was Secretary yeah. of Defense. Okay. Uh, which <laughs> I think Trump's been through like seven of those so far. So yeah. It's hard to remember exactly what his title was, but yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Right. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. So final thoughts on seven days in May. Um, just overall thoughts. I loved it. I'm so happy uh, that I got a chance to see it and review it with you, Tiny. And uh, how do you feel about it overall? It was awesome. Really great movie, just for all the reasons. Super great acting. I loved the tight writing. Um, and it's just it's just a fun story. Like, uh, you know, I've, movies involving military coups are kind of few and far between. Really, it's, it's, yeah. it's at least it's not a it's not like a focal point of a movie. Usually, it's kind of a, a B story or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see a whole movie dedicated to it was really interesting. Yeah. And, uh, Rod Sterling's a man. Yep. Damn oh yeah. Writer. Oh yeah. Incredible, incredible talent. Yeah. Uh, just genius. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will mention that this movie was remade, uh, in, uh, in 1994 with Forrest Whitaker. Um, it's called the enemy within. Um, I was going to do like a bonus review of it, but I don't think I'm going to, it's, it's available on HBO go, or if you have HBO now or whatever, HBO max, any HBO will do. <laughs> um, it is available to stream there. So if you want to check it out, it's up there. It's called The Enemy Within. Interesting kind of tie is that it has Forrest Whitaker, who would go on to uh, narrate the 2002 Twilight Zone reboot on UPN. So that's pretty cool. Nice. Um, so, yeah. So having said all that, I think that'll do it for this episode of Anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, Tiny, do you want me to tell you what... I'm going to force you to watch and come on and be a guest on next time. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this is going to be, I mean, this is going to be like in a long time. Okay. Um, but it's a movie that is on my voodoo account, but um, basically it is a movie written by or co-written by Serling. Mm-hmm. It is called The Rack, and this will be after I finish season three of the original series. Okay. So it'll be a while, but I'm very excited about it because I think I think you'll dig it. Um, it's got Paul Newman and uh, Edmund O'Brien, who was in Seven Days in May as well. He was, well, he was uh, Clark. The senator, yeah. Senator yeah. Clark. Um, but The Rack is... Oh, from 1956, Paul Newman, uh, a decorated Korean war hero inexplicably collaborates with the enemy while interred in a POW camp is in, and is court-martialed. Huh. Um, so, yeah. So, I'm looking forward to chatting with you about it whenever I finish season three of the original Twilight Zone. So, look forward to that in like two and a half or seven years. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, yeah, so this was a nice break from my bonus review series on the new season of the Twilight Zone on CBS All Access. Um, coming up next on the feed, I'm going to do, I'm going to continue that and do bonus reviews for the last five or the second half of the Twilight Zone season two. Uh, coming up is eight and a human face and a small town and try, try and, uh, uh, you might also like. And then after that, I'm going to do a season wrap-up of the Twilight Zone 2019 Season 2. Uh, I'm going to have my friends Dan and Anna from uh, from the Between Science and Superstition podcast on to chat about it, kind of an overall thing. So look forward to that. Um, yeah, and that'll do it for this episode of Anthology. Thank you guys so much for listening. Tiny, thank you so much for joining me for this uh, adventure down a Rod Serling rabbit hole. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, and do you want to tell people where they can find you online? I know you're not really on Twitter, but how like how can they reach you to send their hate mail? 
Um, you can uh, send an email to tiny at obsessiveviewer.com, or um, I'm also active on the uh, Obsessive Viewer Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's ever something you want to post on there, <laughs> I'll respond to it. Yeah. If there's ever anything on the Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, just real quick, uh, just to kind of wrap up, uh, uh, tell, tell us about those podcasts you do again. <laughs> I am on the Obsessive Viewer podcast. We talk about movies and TV shows and Tower Junkies, which is a Stephen King, all things Stephen King podcast. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tiny. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And I'll see you next time. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. And uh, I didn't think anyone was there. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. And so <laughs> I was literally sitting there like looking at this fire panel, and I was like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Yeah.